These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cinema A to B. Today, we're going to have a nice talk, more than a chat, on Blade Runner. The 82 sci-fi cult classic by uh, Ridley Scott. And uh, Alec, kick us off. I love this film. I really do. I think it took me several watches. And watching several different versions to really kind of get through it, process it, understand it, and really learn to love it. I remember the first time I ever watched it, I watched the director's cut. So it was pretty late, you know, later in the game when I finally saw it and I didn't really get it. Like I didn't get some of the things that came through it. And I thought it was Harrison Ford did a great job. I thought it was shot really, really well. I loved the soundtrack, but I, you know, I expect a lot from Ridley Scott and, and I got it, but I was also like, why does everyone love it? And then, so I was like, you know what? I want to watch the original theatrical edition and watched it. And it kind of helped process the story a little bit, but then also helped me realize how great the director's cut or the work great cut is compared to what the theatrical was. And I do know my uncle actually prefers the theatrical edition over the non-theatrical edition. Cause that's how he first yeah. saw it. That's how he kind of really processed it. But obviously for the most part, what really is done with his work print and then with the final cut is so much better. And I think a much better story, better pacing. I go, I don't think is the right word. Cause obviously there's a lot of drawn out moments, but I just, it adds so much layers to the movie that that just makes it great. So, yeah. I- and Rukert Hauer has one of my favorite monologues in cinema history, yes. hands down. Yeah. Now, I do want to speak to the different differing versions of this movie. I've only ever seen the director's cut and then now the final cut. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I saw this movie until sometime in high school. My dad bought it on DVD and it, it was the director's cut. I've actually still got that copy. Now he had seen the theatrical and he actually went Mm -hmm. to the theater in 82. And he said, he he said he might've been the only guy in the theater. I'll have to, I'll have to confirm that with him. If it wasn't, it was just no more than a few people. Cause obviously the movie famously bombed spectacularly hard Mm -hmm. at the box office, but this movie's influenced so many directors just and and, production designers and video games and the, everybody's trying to replicate this, the way this thing looks and feels this, this whole cyberpunk, you know, version of the future and p- people get close, but they never quite are able to completely duplicate it. And it's a really, it's a credit to what, what they put together. Um, I did want to mention, I, I, I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Christopher Nolan, his favorite version would be the theatrical for the same reason that you mentioned, which is that's the first one he saw. That's the first way he saw it. And I I think there's something to that with this movie. Whatever is the first method you saw it, first iteration is probably going to stick with you. So, yeah, for me as the director's Mm -hmm. cut, although I don't prefer that over the final cut. Because the reality is the director's cuts pretty much the theatrical with the voiceover pulled out. Mm-hmm. And so shots just go too long. 
like things hold for a long time and it, the pacing is a lot better for me in the final cut. So that's kind of the version I prefer. And they added a couple more scenes that were in the international cut as well, like some of the more violence. And then they redid a scene as well. Yeah. The, but, the, the scene where, Oh, what's uh, Zora, Zora where Zora is um, killed. Yeah. They reshot. Yeah. Supposedly she, they were like, she was looked just as good. I mean, well, I mean, looked yeah. like the exact same that she did in 82 when they reshot it. He was never happy with how she kind of fell through the plate glass. And so they redo that. It didn't matter how much time had passed. She was still really fit and showed up. They redo it and it's seamless too. You can't, you can't yeah. tell that's new footage, which is weird to me. That never happens that you shoot with that big of a time gap and cut the material in. And then it's, yeah, it's just completely seamless. Has something to say about the cinematographer of that little shoot. A lot to say with Ridley Scott. And I will say, you know, touching base, like I have a lot of problems with the special editions of Star Wars because they added so much. Like I feel this really worked. The final cut really works as Ridley's true vision because one, he obviously didn't get final cut on the 82 theatrical version. The director's cut really wasn't his version. It was just basically kind of a work print that they decided to release as a director's cut, even though it wasn't really his cut of it or his final cut of it. So I think I'm okay with him changing those things and then updating those things to bring it to a wider audience. But he didn't really add much in the way of new footage, just replacing that one scene. Other than that, it's the same movie. It's not like he added whole big scenes with a walking, you know, job of the hut. No, there's no, there's not a bunch it. of, there's no CGI additions. I think there's some things clean. Yeah. Well, cleaned, cleaned up. up. Yeah. There's like, cleanup, some, like, but it's not, they didn't redo, you know, model work and replace it with a computer rendition of that. It's still the model. And yeah, yeah this is just peak. This is one of those movies. that's peak like optical effects what you could accomplish with, with models and just weird techniques that are largely forgotten or abandoned now, I think. But mm. I, but I feel like those techniques are what Christopher Nolan kind of what draws him back to this movie is what can be accomplished in camera. And I got to say like a lot of those practical effects, they withstand the test of time a lot better than some of these CGI effects. Like as computer graphics get better and better, you look back at some of these CGI and you're like, oh, that's terrible. That's so fake. Where at the time we're like, this looks really real. I mean, did that with video games all the time growing up. Like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Like when, you know, 007 GoldenEye came out for N64, we're all like the realistic graphics. This is like almost real. And then now we look back and like, what What the heck were we thinking? But you don't get that with the practical effects. No, you, you usually don't, especially if they didn't, push them beyond what they were kind of capable of, which in this movie there, there isn't anything now you can kind of tell that this, this film is, is dated in that it, it doesn't have kind of doesn't have more of the mid to late eighties style action sequences. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, that's kind of what it might for the modern viewer. That's what it kind of lacks. Like there's, there's not a lot of the bigger set pieces with with more intricate fighting fight choreography and like explosions and stuff. It's it it always feels more intimate than that. 
but it's just, it's a pleasure to watch every time. And mm. and you're right. The Rutger Hauer's speech, you know, which was part improvisational because he, he, he self edited a bunch of it down when they went mm-hmm. to, ro- when the camera started rolling. Cause the, the speech in the script is a lot longer and he had the creative sense to, to just kind of self edit and clearly had an understanding of the character. And and then just a great directing moment for Ridley to, to just be cool with that. Mm-hmm. Just let, let him, him talk. let him do his thing. And it's a transcendent performance. It really is. It's, it's funny because when they, after he dies and it cuts to that expression of Harrison Ford, where he's just sort of dumbfounded. <laughs> I have the same, <laughs> the same expression. Like I'm just in awe. I'm just, wow. Yeah. yeah it's certainly mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments in all of, all of cinema. And yep. there are days today's probably not one of them, but there are days I wake up and might think to myself, ma'am, what's your favorite movie today, Ben? And, and there are days it could easily be Blade Runner. It really could. Mm-hmm. I do love the fact that it's 2019 <laughs> and we're living off world. We, you know, everything is dark always and rainy always. And there's spires of fire coming out of Los Angeles. And, you know, I mean, you know, LA may be on fire, but we're definitely not living off world yet. So I just, I love how like we, you know, this is, was in the future. Technically it's a movie of the past well, at this point now. Yeah. You know, but what's funny is like within a week ago, and I think it's maybe getting bad again, but New York city looked the way yeah. <laughs> looked the way LA 2019 <laughs> did with it all orange um, yeah. from the fires. But now you'll read, this was not, this was not a particularly pleasurable shooting experience for, for anybody. This is one of those movies that's like a labor of love. And maybe this would be more referred to as a labor of hate. I know, I know Ford was just, this was a miserable shoot. Um, a lot of it has to do with the, the aesthetic of it with everything being wet and, Mm -hmm. and like they, they shoot in a lot of these old locations. And so stuff was smelling bad and like, it just, it it was not a, not a fun environment for an actor to have to, uh, to operate in. So I know he does not look back on this fondly, uh, at all. If, if an interviewer, (laughs) if his, starts bringing up Blade Runner, the, his countenance <laughs> changes immediately. <laughs> Though he went ahead and did the sequel. Like this is a great little segue. Like, I mean, I love Harrison Ford. I think he does fantastic. And even though if he didn't want to be there, but this guy came back in his seventies and has revisited three of, of his most iconic roles, you know, Indiana Jones, you know, Deckard, and then obviously Han Solo as well you know came back let the you know even though two of them he really didn't care too much about like indy he is his first love but he wanted to be dead as han solo in the original trilogy let alone you know come back for the sequel trilogy and obviously didn't really want like doing blade runner but still came back for blade runner 2049 yeah, and that, that so. looked like a much more enjoyable uh yeah shoot and i don't know how many weeks or months he had to shoot for that but yeah that looked like a better better deal. And we're going to, well, I guess we could easily turn this into like a double episode on Blade Runner in 2049. But the reality is that 2049 is, is 
a good a sequel that's ever been made mm-hmm. that it will it deserves its own discussion by us and so we will table yes. that um and we will get to that movie at a later date the easy thing with this movie is to kind of fall into the trap of only discussing the way it looks and kind of sounds and the production design and costumes and but the reality is there's a really powerful kind of debate here in this movie of what it means to be a human being. And that's, Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that those of us that appreciate it for that is why we love it. And then everybody that doesn't really get that or enjoy that exploration, it just is this, Oh, it's cool looking, but it's slow and it's boring. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely about that. What makes a human human what makes created intelligence actually it's become its own intelligence its own self-awareness i mean talks a little bit about how technology turns into slave you know labor for us as well i mean you can kind of you know it's touched on briefly but that's some of the things they had these replicants do those hard jobs that they didn't want humans to do but yet gave them the ability to feel have emotions those kind of things as well so it's you know, because one character wanted to basically play God. There's a lot of parallels in this movie for me with something like Jurassic Park, like the first Jurassic Park mm-hmm. with a creator that just thought about, you know, not why they should do it, but with gold, the Goldblum line of. Yeah, yeah, yeah because the, they, they were so worried about whether they could do it. They didn't stop to think, should yeah. they do and it? This, or, and that was that was badly. But, quoted, no, this, but, but th- that applies in Blade Runner as well, because you you've got this entire and it effectively it's a, it's a profit machine. Like, and I don't know if that's mm-hmm. talked about enough, but it's like, well, why was this? It just, it wasn't just that like these jobs were like too dangerous for regular human beings. It's like a, it's a cheap labor force. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of got that going for it. And then, yeah, the larger, just a larger discussion of like what makes us human are we more than just our memories? It's a pr- pretty deep film. The The problem is, is the, the pacing for, for a lot of audiences now is, is like feels slow mm-hmm. for me. It doesn't, but I'm in love with this film and I, I loved it the first time I saw it. Like I, I don't remember what that initial viewing was, but I came away like, wow, this is, this is going to stay up in my top 10 probably forever. And I just wanted to see it again. And then when he did the final cut, it was even, it was even more like, I just even had a better appreciation for it because it was even paced better. Like I didn't have to sit through those flying cars, like flying through the pyramid (laughs) and stuff that those scenes still exist, but like they were twice as long. Yeah. But we also have to make a nod that uh, one of our fabulous friends who we've talked about in a previous episode, uh, Mr. James Hong makes an appearance in this movie as well and plays a fantastic little character. Like just, just love, love it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's true. I make, yeah, I make the guy eyes. Who, <laughs> I only make, I make, I make your he's, eyes. He's wearing that suit. You're Nexus <laughs> six, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. The music evangelist, 
the the score is some is something else. It still feels in some ways it feels dated, but then in others I kind of waffle because in other ways it still feels like the future. It's almost yeah. a shame that that Ridley had to put a date in the opening crawl. Or yeah. the opening, it's not really a crawl, the opening text. Or it's just like Los Angeles, Los Angeles yeah. 2019, yeah. Yeah, it's almost a shame that that it's got to have that date in it. Like, the studios should just put software in now that we stream this stuff, where they just arbitrarily move that date. <laughs> like, because so 82, 2019, what's the math on that? Yeah. Uh, almost, almost 40 years. Yeah, almost 40 years. Yeah, so... What thirty seven? Yeah. So this when they when I stream this, I just want to see that date arbitrarily moved up, <laughs> like thirty eight, forty years. Except that then, then Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Just rename it. Well, just at some point, <laughs> just keep renaming every year. This year it's Blade Runner twenty fifty two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now this well, movie did get yeah. um, some Oscar noms, but it was it was just the the VFX and then the the art direction. Mm. So they at least was acknowledged when it was made that, that that was high level work, but this is another one we've run into that just took decade after decade of it to reach this cult cult status. So a lot of stuff in the eight, there's some, there's a ton of stuff in the eighties. It's like this. I mean, hell Mm. most of, most of John Carpenter's catalog outside of Halloween had to experience this. You're talking about James yep. Hong, Big Trouble in Little China. It, it was it was Indeed. a bomb, and oh, it's totally bomb. And now it's got yeah. a cult following. Yeah, and uh, the thing, it wasn't as adored as it is now. So some of these things take time. My question is like, what outlet do we have now for these movies to that may be bombed in the box office to have repeat viewings, create mm. cult status? Like, is that possible anymore? I mean, the problem is you obviously get with streaming if they're, they get rid of so many movies so often because of wanting not, not to pay the rights and not worth having it or the rights be, they becomes too popular and then the rights become a lot more expensive. So they drop it. So it's, I think it, you just got to buy it. I mean, or we need to somehow bring rent video rental. By the way, back. the studio's not in the, in the red with Blade Runner anymore. Hasn't oh, been for, for a long, no, no, no. I mean, right around the time that my dad would have bought the DVD that it was start the DVD sales for the movie were starting to pick up with the director's mm-hmm. cut and then final cut and then Blu-ray of the final cut and then 4k remaster of the final cut. Like, no, the, the studio's whole with, with Blade Runner. It, yeah, it's, it's, that's good. That's good. By the way, when I went through the Warner Brothers tour several years ago, they had the the airship that's got the advertisement on it for going off world. Mm-hmm. And that thing is tiny. Yeah. It's not that big. Like the <laughs> models, the model work in this movie is exquisite. And a lot of these models were, were not that large. But the yeah. level of detail is just mind blowing. And I was like the only one that walked by it that like, of like 50 people that even acknowledged what it was yeah, like, oh. <laughs> just like, Oh my yeah. God. And they probably just grabbed a bunch of model kits from the local hobby store and that's just took the what they needed stuff. and just put them all that's together. That's all the best stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's how they did all star Wars yeah. stuff was that. But I, I love 
you bought me that book years ago, like a coffee table book of the artwork mm. of Blade Runner. And it goes into nice detail on how certain effects were achieved. It's fascinating. You're talking about an, a, a visual aesthetic that 75% of it, maybe, or 60% or something can be accomplished by one guy with a computer. And so it's yeah. like, why would you do that now? Why would you spend the time to build something that probably labor intensive? Cost oh, more yeah, it would cost way more that. now. Yeah. But, but the results speak for I'm themselves. I'm going to read that book when mm-hmm. I get there. When next time I'm there, I'm going to read that book. Oh, it's great. Go through that. It's great. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it is. It's basically a Blade Runner art production design coffee table style book. And uh, it's full, full color for the images that nice. were color, full color prints of of a lot of the model work and it's just it's mind-blowing stuff it is this is a this movie is absolutely is a work of art and every frame is Hmm. and and just creative decisions like like red reflecting red in the eyes just it's it's so well thought out i don't know where i rank ridley scott as far as directors but it's it's pretty dang high oh he's 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 probably in my top ten. Somebody was asking where he five. would rank, and and I all time I would I, mean, I would think top ten to fifteen oh. maybe. Um, he doesn't yeah, quite but, have the know. number of like f- great great films as like a Spielberg. Like he's he's like two or three short from like yeah. Spielberg's got like six or seven movies at least that are just like all time greats, and I think Ridley's got more like four maybe four or five, but he's up there. I mean, and he's still doing it. He's, he's up there. Like, yeah, I mean, he's still killing it. Like, I mean, one of my favorite newer movies is the Martian mm-hmm. that he, he came yeah. out with a few years ago. And I think that movie's absolutely brilliant and done really well. It feels less but, like a Ridley movie though. Like, it does. Did you, I mean, I can't explain why it just feels like less of his fingerprints on it. Doesn't mean it's not no. good. <laughs> no, it's so good. Fantastic. Yeah, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is is one of the best to ever do it, and probably getting into a debate with somebody on whether this is his best film. It's certainly my favorite Ridley Scott movie. Is Blade Runner? I actually do put it above Gladiator. As amazing Gladiator. as Gladiator yeah. is, I it's kind of a hard decision to make, but i i do I do have an appreciation more for for what Blade Runner is and philosophically what yeah. it kind of the questions it brings up. It's a deeper movie mm-hmm. for me than gladiator, but as far as rewatchability, well, eh, I don't know. Well, and I also throw, I love black Hawk down. I think uh, having read the book, he did such a great job yeah. of taking what happened from the book and, you know, obviously changing a couple things, but that movie's also yeah. fantastic. And I, I, and then alien, Alien's just oh, yeah. of course, legendary. Alien. Yeah. It's just, so yeah, he's, He's as good as there is and mm-hmm. unbelievable that he's still, uh, still working. Producing yeah. Still or, working. So making stuff. I just curious, like, can he, can he re regain something close to some of these earlier works? The quality level. But it's yeah. tough to do. These mm-hmm. movies don't just show up <laughs> every now and then. And, and sometimes it gets harder when you get more fame and you get, your, your budgets become bigger. You don't have to make those hard choices, which 
actually make the movie better where you have to cut things or you can't do it the way that you want to. So you have to come up with a more creative solution. And that creative solution actually turns out to be better and actually work better and is more, more is received better than what your original thought would have been. Yeah. There were creative restrictions with Blade Runner as far as what, mm-hmm. what could be, he did have the clout of, uh, of alien behind him when he went to make this, um, which helped, but this had to have been a tough experience for him to coming off that wild success of alien to do something like this. That was a creative risk and not to have it received well initially at all. Mm -hmm. Cause I'd have to go back through his filmography to see like, what was the quote unquote comeback movie but this probably set him back several years. The fact that it failed so bad. Yeah. And then he did legend after, after that a couple years later, oof, Thelma and Louise in 91. So maybe? almost 10 years. So like, let's put that yeah. in perspective, right? Cause and black rain is, um, black rain's fine. It's not, it's not a bad movie, but it's not, yeah, I'm not, I'm saying something that's commercial success. That's going to put yeah. his name on the map. I mean, really, I would say even with Thelma and Louise, I would even put it back either GI Jane or gladiators. Really what Thelma and Louise though was very from. successful and like both commercially and creatively. It was, it was heralded. It was an Oscar had a lot of Oscar buzz, but yeah, we're talking about almost a 10 year period here, nine years between those two movies. And so, yeah, it failing at the box office, this is that era where could absolutely ruin your career. Like one movie could ruin Mm -hmm. your career. And so, and then I know legend has its huge fans, but I mean, nobody, (laughs) nobody's sitting here calling legend an amazing movie. Like it's no. Um, so yeah, he, things were kind of precarious there for a while for him as a director. But yeah, he is. He's one of my favorite directors as well. And there might not be more than four or five films, but I mean, that's four or five of the, what I consider greatest, some of the greatest movies ever made. And Blade Runner is, uh, is definitely my favorite of, of his stuff. Not by a lot. Gladiator is behind there. But, and like you said, Black Hawk Down is tremendous. The only reason Black Hawk Down doesn't get all the love is because it, it was only like three years removed from Saving Private Ryan. From, like that that's the yeah. only reason that movie doesn't is because it just didn't come out earlier but uh ben it was great talking about blade oh, runner i love this movie love this movie it's a great movie yeah go see go watch blade runner well, again everybody or f- the for the first cut. time if it's for the first time yeah. what a treat or you'll yeah. hate it you'll just Enjoy. be like this is so slow <laughs> in that case you can keep that to yourself yes <laughs> we don't want to know All right, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody.